Welcome to an interdimensional episode of Save Station Radio. I am your host, Dustin, and with me is my co-host, Connor. Hello there. And this week, we're talking about the glorious Crash Bandicoot 4, It's About Time. Of course, released October 2nd, 2020 for PS4 and Xbox One. Developed by Toys for Bob in conjunction with Activision Shanghai, Beanox, and published by Activision, of course. Uh, unfortunately, no Switch or PC release yet, though, if they're following the patterns that, they're, um, that the Insane Trilogy and Reignited Trilogies did, that'll probably come in the future, probably next year. Fingers crossed. Yeah, this is definitely a game I would like on Switch. Yeah, I, I mean, I would love a PC version. Hopefully with ultra-wide support this time, unlike the Insane Tr- Trilogy, which doesn't support that. Yeah, and just for the record, um, I believe we both played this on PS4. Yes, um, and I, I played on I played primarily on my PS4 Pro, but I also played a little bit on yours, and I do have some things to say about the the difference in quality when we get there, because there is a difference, unfortunately. Okay, yeah, I played it on my PS4 Slim, so and I didn't really notice anything. So some interesting things here. This game was actually like technically teased, and it might have been an accident because I don't think anybody's acknowledged this. But there was a PlayStation trailer back in November last year that had a bunch of PlayStation franchises in it. But one of the things in there was a Crash Crash Team Racing segment that showed a bunch of the characters you know racing in a at a like live action garage, and that showed like Crash and Coco and Cortex going by with Aku Aku following them, the mask. But then there was another mysterious mask which turned out to be Kapuna Wa in that trailer as well, which is interesting. And I haven't seen anybody comment on that so it makes me think maybe it was a weird mistake which is just kind of just a little interesting relic it seems weird i watched that video um and i'll link it in the show notes as well but it seems weird for it to be a mistake because kapunawa at least as of recording hasn't been in ctr so it seems like i know it's bizarre right it's either deliberately put there as a hint that they are making a crash 4 or they are planning to put Kapunawa into CTR in some fashion, which seems weird to add. Totally. And the honestly, the boring, like, not fun answer, what I think it might actually be, is that came out late 2019. I have the feeling maybe Crash 4 was supposed to come out maybe in the middle of the year, and like everything else because of coronavirus, maybe just got extremely delayed and they kind of dropped all that stuff. So maybe it was intentional, and then it was just kind of too late, and then everybody was like, "Whatever." But even still, why have a crash band or a crash team racing segment and put a non-CTR character there if it's not? I mean, maybe they had plans to add Crash Four stuff into CTR, which would make sense. And then maybe that last step just went out the window when um, there. I mean, there was a couple months there where nobody was doing any work, you know. So. Yeah, I guess that's true. Um, the other teaser for this game that came out before any reveal was, and you might have seen this on social medias, and I'll link an image as well, was certain review outlets got 200-piece jigsaw puzzles that, when assembled, were a picture of Kapunawa, um, which the art there was no text with it, no c- confirmation or anything, but the art style and the mask design, everything just said, like, hey, it's a Crash Bandicoot 4. So that was very exciting to see, and then later we got the reveal. Yeah, and I believe this is the third time they've done this. They did this. They sent out purple eggs before Spyro was announced, and then they sent out 
orange fuzzy dice before CTR was announced. So, here's what I'm going to say on recording. Activision, when you do your next retro revival thing, uh, hopefully Spyro, fingers crossed, you know, you know, send us a little something. We'll dissect it. We'll do a podcast about it. Just saying. Just saying. I would also like a purple egg. Yes. Uh, yes, please. <laughs> uh, and those fuzzy dice. So you gathered a bunch of... You gathered some really fascinating information about Toys for Bob. Do you want to take that away? Yeah. So like our previous Crash episodes where we sort of dissected the developers or weird publishing history but behind the people or behind the game's development, I decided to research Toys for Bob because it's a company name I hadn't heard about until they did in the Reignited trilogy. They also helped develop the Insane trilogy and helped port it to Switch. And then I found out they were making this game, so I thought I'd do some research. Um, Turns out, like Naughty Dog and Vicarious Visions and all that, they've been around for quite a long time. Uh, it was founded in 1989 by Paul uh, Riche. I am probably mispronouncing that last name. Uh, the third, and Fred Ford, and then with the help of Terry Falls. Um, the name, which I was extremely curious to research about, because why is it called Toys for Bob? It was intentionally ambiguous, just to get people to look into them, really. Not named after any Bob. It's just a name that um, Paul's wife came up with. Not named after any Bob or their toys. Fred and Paul uh, worked together for quite a long time uh, on video games, like kind of in college and then right after college. Then they fell off. Um, Paul got a job with TSR, which publishes, which I believe used to publish uh, D&D back in the day, um, while Ford worked for various graphics companies and computer companies or whatever. Um and then Greg Johnson, who is one of the co-founders of ToeJam and Earl, he organized a game night and reintroduced them and then got them into creating game design, which then they created Toys for Bob in 1989. Fascinating. And um, you didn't say it, but uh, if you don't know Toys for Bob for these uh, for their, for this game and uh, the Reunion Trilogy, you probably know them from the Skylanders games. That was kind of their thing they had up. I don't know. Before that, they didn't really have anything too notable. Like, a, they, they did a really cool-looking, like, Disney-themed skateboarder game that uses the Tony Hawk Pro Skater engine that I really want to find. But, I mean, other than that, is there, there's a story you have in here about a game that is not notable, but it's an awesome story. Yeah, so, after, you know, they got Toys for Bob, they did Star Control, which was huge, and apparently oh, that's a good tons point. of yes, fans. Oh, that's a I forgot about that one. I know nothing about Star Control, but it was for DOS and... I don't have a consistent way or inclination to play DOS games, so I've heard a lot of like a lot of, you know, old people say that that was like Mass Effect before Mass Effect. You know what? I'm going to say it. Star Control is Boomer Mass Effect. <laughs> there you go. You got it. Um Star Control 2, which came out later, I don't think I wrote down the actual date, was one of the big inspirations for Fallout and Mass Effect. So you know, they got their inspirations there. Um, they gave the rights to Accolade after that, which they were publishing under. Uh, Accolade went on to make a third Star Control game, but it's different. People, 
it's not the same, but you know, the original developers then went to partner partner with Crystal Dynamics where they released The Horde, which was an FMV action strategy game for the 3DO, which really interests me because how do you do an action strategy game with FMV? Um, also, apparently it has Kirk Cameron in it, who you might recognize the name for making such bad Christianity movies like Fireproof and Kirk Cameron Saves Christmas. <laughs> Just weird plot, weird ties to everything all through this company story. Um, they then did Pandemonium, which is a 2.5D platformer with, for the PS1 and Saturn. And then they did the the unholy war right before or right after crystal dynamics was bought by ados um, which then released the game in 1998 which also had a legacy of kane's sold reaver demo disc included with it right so they did a bunch of stuff basically they are they are one of those studios that's kind of been around forever doing weird things like you said premium to vicarious visions and uh, I mean, Crystal Dynamics, obviously. So they've been they've been around a while. Yeah, and this is all. Uh, the Unholy War came out in 1998, so a little under a decade after it was founded. They have these games; they're getting pretty popular. They're under Crystal Dynamics right now. Okay, so so this is the big story here, and I told Dustin about this when I was researching it because it is the most wild thing I've ever read. So the Unholy War, uh, which was you know action fighting game on the ps1 after it came out ford or fred and paul are their names i'm not going to try and pronounce the last names anymore they were playing sd gundam games on the ps1 you know gundam the popular anime and uh painted figure line and they were very much tactics games similar to like advance wars or fire emblem with the gundam characters and mechs and all that so they figured they could use their action strategy fighting game that they made with the Unholy War and use that with the Gundam characters to make a really cool game. So they contact their higher-ups at um, at Crystal Dynamics and Eidos, and they contact the higher-ups at Bandai to get the license. This is where it goes off the rails. This is one of many rail-jumping segments. So Bandai contacts back saying, okay, we have a bigger license for you than Gundam, which already is a big claim. <laughs> right. So hearing that, they sign the contract without knowing what the license is. What? <laughs> that is just the most wild thing I've ever heard. By the way, all of this is stuff that would never happen today with big game companies. This is all Whoa. that's like weirdly like y'all didn't know what you were doing, huh? I mean, Idos didn't either. Like, why did they? They facilitated this whole deal. <laughs> it was... It's so interesting. So this is the first wild thing. They signed the contract without knowing what the license is. So then they. Uh, something that happens right before they get the facts telling them what the uh, license is, their only contact at Bandai who spoke English quits. <laughs> so they have no con no English contacts with Bandai anymore. Um, and on their side in the States, 
they only have one person who speaks Japanese, and that is Greg Johnson's partner who spoke Japanese. And whenever she would have free time, she'd come over and translate for them. But that was very sporadic. She was busy. So they basically were had a huge language barrier. So that's another wild part. They can't contact each other in any language, basically, other than drawings. Yeah, so basically people from Bandai are sending them notes and things to implement into this game that they can't read. And they only have the person who is available to read it some of the time. And these are extremely detailed uh, game and design documents that they just straight up can't read. So they get the first fax that tells them what the license is. And it's uh, this anime which I'm going to butcher the pronunciation of, but it's Majioko Daisakusen, or Little Witching Mischiefs. Or no, uh, Witch Girl Battle is what that translates to, which was a anime from the 60s that basically took a bunch of magical girl characters and put them together into this one show, which is a wild thing to have an action a strategy fighting game off of but okay (laughs) it's not Gundam I'll say that this is like a series that they're trying to revive right this is like a classic thing that they're trying to bring back in a modern way this is like this is like the Japan's late 90s version of like Scoob or something it is the most wild thing yeah so they're like okay we signed a contract for this Scoob my go to example for that (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> um, I think probably because I showed you that interview and they also, the two developers that, that was interviewed also referenced Scoob in that. Oh, did they? Okay, yeah, that makes more sense. I'm like, that was an interesting poll. <laughs> yeah, no, it's the same poll they did. I'll link that okay, um, interview in the description as well. So they're continuing to make this game, you know, struggling through the Japanese English language barrier. And then they get into the debugging phase and... The Japanese uh, playtesters and debuggers at Bandai are just doing wild shit. Like, they're just, um, like, unplugging the memory card and opening the disk drive and while the game is being played. And then they're complaining that it's buggy. Um, and they keep sending constant, like, bug reports. So they just... Uh, Toys for Bob just unplugs their fax machine and then never speaks to them again. <laughs> meanwhile the game is finally released in 1999 in japan and toys for bob just never hears anything about it they don't know how well it did i think they may have gotten two printed copies but they're japanese and you'd need a japanese ps1 to even play them so they didn't play them they just never spoke to bandai again and the game was released and i guess they got paid so okay (laughs) I just love that these are, you, you know, like, Toys for Bob nowadays is, I would say they're, like, because of these remakes in this game, they're, they're you know, a fairly major developer, and, you know, Bandai, Bandai now, Bandai Namco is, is a big deal. These two companies just ghosted each other. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's the most what I mean by, like, thing. none of this shit would ever happen in modern 
water types ever. No, <laughs> like, this because is you can't just wild. unplug a fax machine and never speak to the company again. Oh my god, that is insane. I, I love it, though. I love those kinds of stories. Um, We'll plug it again at the end, but where was this interview that you found? Uh, It's on Matt Chat episode 97 by a guy named Matt Barton on YouTube. Um, I'll have a link in the show notes. Yeah, uh, shout out to you, Matt Barton. <laughs> and he interviewed Fred and Paul on this episode. The bit on this game starts at about 8 minutes and 45 seconds if you're looking it up. Yeah, absolutely wild wild nonsense i lost it when i was researching this so right after this <laughs> it releases in japan in 1999 they then make 102 dalmatians puppies to the rescue in 2000 and then crystal dynamics fires all of them yeah that's my reaction after watching 102 dalmatians too though <laughs> fair enough just fire the entire toys for bob team who made this <laughs> <laughs> who made this who's Get responsible i don't know if the game's any good honestly so I, no, no come on no, no. i haven't watched that film since i was a child it's probably fine well it's probably about as good as any of those other disney sequels like cinderella 2 anyway uh toys for bob they get fired they release the source code for star control 2 for fans to port to other consoles you can find if you just google like the urquan masters the ur hyphens q-u-a-n masters it was like a whole community that might still be active i think the last post on the website was 2018 they're still working to you know use the source code to port it to other systems or just get a really great pc version working nowadays so that's super cool but toys for bob moved on to activision and then made disney's extreme skate adventure in 2003 Apparently they liked the 102 Dalmatians game enough. They said, here's the Disney license again. Go ahead. And to reiterate, that is a game where you can play as Buzz Lightyear in Andy's room built off the Tony Hawk engine. I really want to find that Whoa! stupid video game. It looks oh, like nonsense yeah. and I want it. It looks so great. So then they officially made them a su subsidiary in 2005. They made Madagascar and Madagascar 2 Escape to Africa and Tony Hawk's Downhill Jam, the PS2 and Wii versions. An okay game. Not, not not terrible. Not the best, but interesting. Interesting concept, at least. Yeah. Uh, then uh, Activision gets acquired by Vivendi, which we talked about before in our Crash 3 episode. So now Activision has the rights to Crash, Crash and Spyro. So Toys for Bob, one of the members, I didn't write down any of these names, um, apparently sees another team member building electronic toys and like little toy robots and sees the potential for uh, Toys to Life games, and then they, now that they have the Spyro license, they then make Skylanders Spyro's Adventure in 2011. Yeah, so they make Skylanders Spyro's Adventure in t 2011, which was not the first Toys to Life game. I will shout out UB Funkies. I loved that as a kid. You had a figure, and you put your little figures in the top of it. came out in the year 2008, and it was the first toys to life game they then followed up skylanders giants in 2012 the franchise became a billion dollars worth a billion dollars uh they made skylanders trap team and then skylanders imaginators which we also talked about before has a crash level um and these are all technically spyro spinoffs the first one was and then the rest kind of fell off of it um skylanders started to decline in sales and then they 
were still in with the Spyro and Crash sort of licenses. So their approach to make Spyro Reignited Trilogy. And then since Vicarious Visions, I'm assuming, was put on the twin Tony Hawk project, then they were put on the Crash 4 project, which is what we're talking about now. So, getting to Crash 4, um, this is a game that ostensibly takes place after Crash 3. It kind of pretends those other sequels didn't happen in a roundabout way. We'll get to it. This is basically the continuity after that. It's, you know, so it's like, whatever. But would that be 20 years in the future? Uh, apparently Bandicoot Stone Age. What happens is uh, Cortex and Entropy and Uka Uka are are trapped where they were left off in Crash 3, where they were left as children, and so now they've all grown up and they're trying to break out of this dimensional hell, whatever this is. And Uka Uka does, ostensibly dies, question mark, and then Cortex and Entropy are free and they are causing havoc and they have awoken the four elemental masks which Crash has to collect to stop them. Yeah, Aku Aku all-knowing mask realizes that these are the quantum masks and they're back and that they need their help to stop whatever it is they don't know exactly what's happening yet but they figured that out pretty quickly you're right quantum masks i think the elemental masks were from raf of cortex (laughs) the other crash war anyway yep (laughs) um and so yeah let's uh let's talk about Let's 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 do our. I guess we don't really have to do the history of this game. It, it got announced, and we were excited about it, and we decided to do these episodes. Um, Pretty much, uh, yeah. There you go. Let's uh, let's let's talk about our you know spoiler-free reviews. And unlike the other games, I actually do think there are spoilers in this game, which is really cool. I think for this discussion, we should probably keep the other. There's other playable characters. We should probably keep those a secret. Um, I mean, it says them on the, the back of the box. It does, and I will say, a lot of the stuff was shown in trailers, and I do think that is kind of my biggest disappointment with it. But I do think for the sake of this conversation, in case you haven't seen it, maybe we'll, you know, not talk about that stuff too much, because I do think it's cool if you, you know, happen to be just like a casual person and just want a quick review. And then we can get to that when we get to spoiler stuff. Yeah, so why don't you start us off? What did you think? I loved this game my i'm it's a banger like i said before it's so good i am a recent fan of the crash bandicoot uh franchise i played the insane trilogy late last year and early this year for the first time and i mean after 100 percenting all three of those for this podcast it really made me appreciate those games so having this be just, I mean, a way bigger adventure and a, like just way more fleshed out level design, but still has that extremely precise platforming that is really satisfying to pull off. All of that is so, so fantastic and it is an absolute joy to control. And the other major selling point for this was the animation we talked about how the insane trilogy is gorgeous to look at. I honestly think this is even better. 
Yes, I will concur and I, you know, echo those sentiments. I think visually I would say this actually hews closer to Spyro Reignited Trilogy than it does the Insane Trilogy, which makes sense given its choice for Bob. And I think it, it fits Crash very well. I know there are some people who don't like it um, based off its old designs. I love it. I think that they have picked a style and they've stuck with it. And it just, it looks, everything looks so cartoony and bouncy in the best way. And I know I've said that for literally all of these games, but it's true. And I think that this one-ups the Insane Trilogy for sure. Yeah, and I honestly think that pretty much everything visually is like some of the best looking cartoony game design I've ever seen. Like it literally, and I know we said all this for the Insane Trilogy where it looks like it's a moving a playable Disney cartoon and all that, but just the level of detail in the squash and stretch and the character poses and personality that exudes through the face. Crash in particular only has one word of dialogue in this entire game, and it honestly doesn't feel like it because he has so much expression through all of his body motions and his facial expressions. It's just awesome. It's just gorgeous to look at. Um, all the voice performances are also really stellar. I love Aku Aku's voice, who I believe passed away. The game um, yes. does mention that. Um, rest in peace. Your voice is yes. amazing. Um, Cortex I, is fantastic. Cortex is all of them. Clancy like, Brown, I want to say. Right? Mr. Krabs from SpongeBob and a bunch of other stuff. Yeah, he was in the originals as well, so it's good to see him back. I recognized... The first mask you get, Lonnie Loli, which I don't feel is too much of a spoiler. You get him in the second level. Um, I instantly recognized it as the same voice actor who does Zim from Invader Zim and Raz from Psychonauts, (laughs) which was cool. I thought he did a really great job. My only gripe with the presentation is like one or two of the music tracks were a little weird. Um, And we'll get into what specifically that was, but all in all i thought it was a great like reimagining of what the original soundtracks brought they even bring back a lot of those classic themes while still having a bunch of new stuff that really fits the atmosphere of each world yeah absolutely and um i i think you're talking about presentation just to it maybe i'll talk about this more specifically when we talk about spoilers i loved every time there was a cutscene in this game it to the point where i kind of wish there was a little bit more I think specifically there's one level transition where you go from one area to another that I feel like there should have been a cutscene. I feel like there's like, there was just, it was just a little bit of like a, there should have been like a little cutscene here. (laughs) I don't know. Um, But that was the only like problem I had with it. I think that the level themes, while they, um, they traded out the sort of like, you know, you get five levels and you can pick whichever one you want to go to first for a more traditional, um, world map so you do the levels one at a time i think that they are all varied enough that i never got bored even though you are in distinct areas this time around like you're in a you know a post-apocalyptic area and a jungle area and a pirate area and all the levels you know appear or adhere to those themes but they're all different enough to constantly feel you know unique and fun they never got boring at all particular one area about halfway through that i thought was like amazing i think that there's just so much creativity and like awesomeness i don't know how else to put it to the art and to the level design that it was always entertaining and always fun if i had to talk about i don't know one problem i have with the gameplay i think 
there are a couple of levels. I well, I mean, it's like classic Crash, right? So there are a couple of levels where you're riding an animal, like um, uh, like you would in Crash Two and Three, and I feel like those levels suffer a little bit from the new design, and the new design meaning like the corridors are a bit wider, and I feel like those animals are a bit harder to control, and I that led to more deaths than I feel like should have happened, but. I think that's ultimately a pretty small complaint. Yeah, I definitely had that problem with the animal level, specifically the first animal level that shows up, because I believe there's only like two or three. I was trying to go for the returning box gems, and it was really painful to miss one and then have to die and restart. And So I feel like the controls would really get in the way of trying to complete this game, but I will say now, and it's not really a spoiler probably don't try and complete this game because it is brutal yes it that does tip into another critique i have this game has a sort of mirror mode they call it the inverted mode um it is a mirror mode it mirrors the level but the other thing it does is it changes like the entire look and theme of the level and i don't think it's unique enough to warrant a full second playthrough of every level to get every gym again because that's what it does you basically have to collect all of the gyms a second time in this mirror mode they do there are hidden gems throughout the level and they changed the location of those as far as i could tell for the couple i did so that's cool but other than that having to redo the whole level to get another box gem or whatever in this inverted mode i think is kind of a bummer i wish either those modes wouldn't be required for completion or they would substantially change the level in a different way you know like a harder version or something i think that 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 when i look at this game you know Looking at it, like, if I want to complete it, A, the brutal difficulty scares me, but B, this is another deterrent, where it's like, I don't, this is neat, but it's not neat enough for me to want to do that whole challenge again, if that makes sense. Yeah, it definitely makes sense. Um, Did you find any of the visual filters in the insane, or the inverted mode to be difficult to look at? Not really. Um, But I only did a couple of them, so I didn't see all of them. I did, like, three of them. Um, I did the one that I was excited about, which is the one where you spin and paint throws everywhere that's in the pirate world, uh, which looked super cool. My issue with these is they all feel like stuff you would, stuff that would be like cheat codes, you know, where you'd be like, I want to do the paint thing. And you put in the cheat code or select it from a hidden menu and you get it rather than something that should be required to replay the level. (laughs) Like they feel like something that should be a fun bonus and not like part of core progression. It's not required to beat the game at least it is required for completing no. or trying to get the no. extra costumes which are a neat bonus yeah they, they remind me of like naughty dog games like they updated last of us 2 and added a bunch of like visual filters you can do like a weird 8-bit one that like kind of crunches up the screen and you know all this like weird like kind of goofy fun stuff that's what they these should be they should just be like goofy optional things if you want to play them that way I, I just think it's weird to have like extra challenge associated with them even though it's like fake challenge if that makes sense yeah it's kind of just the same challenge that the original level had except the other additional head and gem um i did find some of the visual filters i played a decent amount of these i didn't do all of the themes but specifically like the neon wasteland one i found either too dark in places to really see what was happening there's one where i just straight up didn't see a platform because it was too dark um and then you know just kind of the visual noise that happens with the backgrounds and the lights and the lines and trying to figure out like that kind of just got irritating after a little bit i will say the paint one is very very cool i love that one 
Yes. And then there's a one that's just sort of this like even more cell shaded, um, washed out version that is cool at a standstill, but kind of gets a little irritating in motion. So that's another deterrent for me is I just don't really like looking at a lot of them. So I don't feel inclined to play them, but again, it's not necessary to beat the game. I guess the last kind of core thing... Oh, before we get to that, actually. Um, if not talking about those other characters necessarily, I will say I really like playing as them. Except some of them require you to shoot. It was just fine when you're in 2D. I think when you're in 3D, they suffer from not having like a proper aiming scheme. And sometimes that would be a little frustrating. Again, not the end of the world, but just a little bit. I think in this platformer that I, you know... 100% of the time outside of that I find to be completely responsive and totally like like playable <laughs> it's the one moment where I'm like oh the controls are kind of failing me here um, I don't know if you experienced that as well yeah I think specifically for trying to aim at specific targets but I mean that's with the side characters with the main Crash and Coco levels they are so precise you can do stuff that you would never dream about doing in the Insane Trilogy they're so like responsive to inputs um i never felt like the controls for those two specifically failed me at all the level design is still extremely difficult but it was all fair i felt yep it feels completely accommodated by the control scheme it um i put it in my notes the controls are basically like you basically have the entire moveset from crash 2 but with the double jump from 3 so it's you know, you're tired, you're completely mobile in this game, and that it feels so good. And there are so many jumps that are like you would think would be like impossible, but they're super not. And they're it's just a really enjoyable time. I think all the levels are easy to read, you know, like you can tell what kind of crates they are. There's no problem with visibility, you know, aside from those inverted modes, which we just talked about, obviously. Yeah, and they don't pull anything like the crash 2 where they have just a stack of boxes and they hide a tnt crate in the middle of it <laughs> they don't pull anything like that here yeah i will say this game loves its hidden crates if you try to 100 percent it watch out for that this game loves to hide crates behind stuff and just outside like like underneath gaps and stuff where you wouldn't think they'd be <laughs> it can be a little brutal that way the last thing i want to compliment this game for i think this it does a really cool thing where the old PS1 versions and the uh, Insane Trilogy by extent have this hallway design, you know, and they kind of get like they all uh, every level in those games feels like a hallway, I guess, except for the Coco jet ski stuff. But every other level feels like you're just running down a hallway. And for the most part, it's the same design here. But the artist did such a phenomenal job widening it out. It doesn't feel that way. In my experience, it just felt so good, and it felt more open, even if it actually wasn't, which I really appreciated, and I really want to extend that compliment to the artist and level designers. I think they did such a banger job here. Well, and some levels do actually widen out a substantial amount, not to the point where you're going to be like exploring an open area or anything, but 
there's like decent left and right movement that you can explore or use for your platforming um, while still having the z-axis towards the camera or sometimes just a 2d segment that's has a lot of room to move around i found that those moments where i'm like wow okay this is actually like really opened up it was actually reminding me of that crash level from skylanders because i watched the video of that and i was like okay actually this kind of works it's not trying to be bogged down with pointless combat like skylanders was i mean it was skylanders it's not a crash game but having that sort of wider area to move around and explore these little chunks of level i thought was really uh it was quite interesting and but didn't feel intrusive or too expansive it just is really thoughtful level design in that way yes um and i think within those levels they did such a good job of having like set piece moments and stuff that like in the old games would be separate levels like the running towards the camera scenes these are now just integrated into the normal levels which give them such a cool, fun, cinematic feel. I mean, these feel like, and it totally makes sense given the legacy, these feel like, you know, Uncharted-style set pieces and stuff like that, which is awesome, and I think really makes this game feel special. I think the last thing I want to touch on before we get into spoilers, you know, are the flashback levels, which you did a bunch of. I only did a couple of them. They are these special bonus levels you get. Um, You have to play a level without dying to a certain point and then you can collect a tape then you can play these extra hard 2d platforming levels that are supposed to be like they're supposed to take place in the 90s when cortex was testing crash to make him the general of his army which is the funniest thing to me <laughs> it's the funniest line in the whole game <laughs> this bandicoot will be my general <laughs> so good <laughs> of um, course but they're just these extra challenging levels and they're fantastic or at least the couple i played i know you were having trouble with one of them last night on twitter i saw but yeah, um well I, I loved the few that i played and i can't wait to try more i played all but one of them and it just got too much for me and plus we needed to record so i couldn't spend um yeah last night as of recording if you follow me on twitter you saw that i spent two hours and 40 minutes trying to beat one of these stages because it is so difficult and it pulls things that you could not do in previous crash games but integrates them in a really interesting way that is also extremely difficult (laughs) but still i mean even those levels didn't feel unfair they all felt like i was still in complete control and it was the tightest timing i've ever experienced in any platformer but it felt like i could actually do it and that's why i played for two hours and 40 minutes on one level i think these are wonderful i think that they're um they take the same mentality that future tense did in the insane trilogy where there's like these are you know we're just gonna go full out and make these as challenging as possible with the movesets and i love that i love that these exist here for the hardcore players i think that rules they also have this they have this like mario maker energy to them that I love. Yeah, the entire totally stage for all of them are just completely made out of boxes. So that means you'll be doing a lot of bouncing, and if you want to get, you know, perfect scores, you're gonna to have to break all of them, which is just stressful in itself. They're rough, but they, very some of cool. Them you could also become quite almost puzzle-like, where you have to figure out what order to break things so you don't either screw yourself over for a later jump or you know die or 
either just miss make a box completely uh, missable or you just can't backtrack to get it it's it's quite entertaining to sort of have that mental layer over top of just the actual dexterity needed to pull it off um i found that actually just really great level design so shout out to that also same thing shout out to the bonus rooms in this game they were always kind of puzzle rooms but in this one it feels like they really ran with that mentality and they truly feel like platforming puzzles and i want to shout out those as well because they're also quite hard and neat uh before we get into our spoiler section is there anything you want to talk about that we haven't touched on yet um yeah we usually mention the metacritic score i looked it up a while ago it might have changed um but for some reason the ps4 version is at an 85 and the xbox one version is at an 82 don't know why we both played the ps4 version but i would actually go higher than an 85 personally i completely agree so actually you saying that reminds me i did say i was going to talk about the differences because i ended up i played most of this on my ps4 pro but i did end up playing some on your ps4 slim i will say there's a notable difference in frame rate the ps4 version definitely runs a lot smoother the pro version and i could definitely tell going back and forth between them i think the the normal ps4 version is fine you're not going to notice it if that's your only console but you know, if you're going back and forth at all, if you have, if you happen to, you know, have that kind of setup or whatever, just be aware the frame rate is definitely better and noticeable on PS4 Pro. Yeah, I will say I played the entire thing on the PS4 Slim because that's what I have, and there's some moments where there's just not a lot on screen where I can tell that it's running 60, but then you get into where it's there's more things on the screen, which is. 99.9% of the game um and it's usually between 30 and 60 but it it never like dropped frames where it was noticeable and it never made the controls feel unresponsive which I know frame rate can do so I would say it's not a huge issue if you just play it on the regular PS4 or the PS4 Slim but if frame rate is a concern of you for you then play it on a PS4 Pro or wait for the PC version, I'm sure that'll run better, or I'm sure it's going to be backwards compatible for the PS5. Yeah, um, it was one of those things where I'm like, because I'm not normally a huge frame rate person, I can tell the difference between 30 and 60, but generally as long as it's smooth, it doesn't bug me. I um, I actually was like, okay, I feel like I'm going insane. Did Digital Foundry do a video on this? And they did, and it basically confirmed it. Or yeah, the PS4 normal version runs at an uncapped frame rate for some reason. So it kind of bounces all over the place, which is interesting. I don't know why they did that. (laughs) But also, I don't know much about game development, so maybe it was just easier to do it that way. Universal recommendation here. If you want to get nerdy about that stuff, go check out Digital Foundry. They're fantastic. So yeah, let's move into spoilers. This is your jump-off point if you don't want to be spoiled for it. Definitely go play it. I know it's um, 60 when Insane Trilogy was 40 and you can usually find it for 30 now i honestly think it earns that 60 dollars price tag there's a lot to do really charming actually a pretty good story and well worth your time and money i think 100 percent. all right bye all
Spoiler Town. Uh, first of all, favorite level name. Oh, yes, this old segment. We mentioned in the demo uh, review, uh, Ship Happens, still one of the best. Pretty good. Um, I'm also partial to uh, Crash Compactor. Also pretty good. Um, and Crash Landed, I think, is probably my favorite. Crash Landed's good because it's a reference to a canceled game, <laughs> which I like. <laughs> yeah, that's always a good meta joke. Um, the Crate Escape is also a very good name. That is very good. Uh, that doesn't matter because the best one is actually Run It By You. Um, oh, yep. You thank you it. for your participation, <laughs> but, you know, you know, better better luck next time. I will say none run of these it, are as good as Hot Cocoa. We still haven't surpassed that mountain. Maybe uh, with Hot Crash Coco's 5. still the best name. Hot Coco's very funny. Um, <laughs> and shout out to the trophy Insanity for beating uh, the intro beat to, ins- uh, to Insanity, I mean. Yeah, yeah. Good call back there. Well, since we teased it, let's talk about those other characters. Let's talk about uh, Tana, Cortex, and Dingledile. Dingledile, whose name I cannot pronounce, and I do not care. He's the best character. He is king. You thought Dingledile was the best one? Yes. Oh, he's man. just. See, I'm still a, I'm a, I'm a big Tana fan over here. <laughs> man, he's just trying to live his life. He's, you know, all he wants is a stupid, stupid ass diner. His non FDA approved diner. Let a lot of live his goddamn life. You. F- Whoa! Jesus Christ, you know? He, <laughs> he, he did his whole villain thing in Crash 2 and 3, and he's done. He's done. Chill. Is he even in Crash okay? 2? He was the mastermind. Oh, okay. Yeah, he was controlling Uka Uka behind the scenes. You know that gross fucker lives in those sewer levels, right? <laughs> he was there. <laughs> okay, good. You got me. I also just like his levels because they remind me of Luigi's Mansion with the vacuum. Yeah, it's like a Luigi's Mansion platformer that is actually really fun. <laughs> yeah, totally, totally. Um, you know, I, I think this is him and Cortex are the characters I was referencing with the shooting. I think it's super fun to like grab TNT crates with your gun and then shoot them at targets. I just wish I could aim. <laughs> but yeah, whatever. It's a small complaint. I love how heavy he feels. I think compared to the other characters, it's a nice dynamic and change. You know, I love that he's traded out his flamethrower for a vacuum. I think it's cute and funny. And he's just enjoyable the whole time. I love when Snack rolled when he's excited about his franchise diners. <laughs> and then he gets really confused about the paradox of it all. <laughs> uh, good old Best Dingle character. Dial. That's all I'm saying. Best character. Tana, also fantastic. I, I think she basically plays like Crash and Coco, but with a grappling hook, which is A+. Plus. Can't yeah, go wrong I think there. The biggest, the biggest problem with Tana, it's not even really... It's, sort of sets her apart is that she doesn't have a slide which did mess me up when i went back to her levels but i think using the grappling hook as a ranged option and then also just for traversal i thought was really great um her double jump is still pretty great and the ground stomp covers a really large area so all in all probably one of my favorite side characters to play as oh yeah for sure the whip is super fun and she's a fun character i love her when when you do her level in the the wasteland area where she's like i like this place (laughs) (laughs) yeah and it's cool to see tana come back in some form it's not the same tana from crash one it's the alternate reality one with i love how they play with that too yeah it's fantastic i thought it was really smart to do that and you know tana just kind of doesn't really 
exists kind of in i mean yeah, it just what, is mentioned that they where's Tana they, prime yeah it just mentioned that they lost touch so hmm. something happened hmm uh-oh uh-oh that's not good they just they just lost touch after crash one and uh she shows up in ctr and that's about it <laughs> yeah i i love her her character she's super fun and then we have Cortex, who I think plays the most differently. His moveset is so interesting. He doesn't have a double jump like the other characters. Which I guess Dingle Dio so technically hard. doesn't have a double jump either. He has, but he has the vacuum, which acts as one. Um, yeah, he but can he has his, for a little bit. Yeah, he has his gun, which is what you use to transport. It changes enemies into blocks, which is already weird as shit. And if you shoot them once, it changes them into a solid platform. If you shoot them twice, it makes them into a bouncy jelly platform. So you basically are timing shooting enemies to, you know, build the platform effectively. And that's where the, you know, shooting in 3D spaces comes in to be an annoyance. In 2D spaces, it works wonderfully. It's perfect. The other thing he has is a mid-air dash, which is really fun and satisfying. And yet, his levels I found to be the most challenging, specifically because of the lack of that double jump. Which, you're right, it, it also messed me up a bunch. <laughs> right, be like, okay, double jump here. Oh, it's he can't. Can't. <laughs> oh, bummer. <laughs> Darn. Um, I would also say one of his biggest uh, additions, one of his biggest traits is his little jumping animation that looks like it was ripped straight from Marvin the Martian. So He's... extremely fantastic. <laughs> like, thank yeah. you. That's a great animation touch to have his legs stay together and his feet point out like Marvin the Martian. Yes, he's he's very cute in his platforming sections. And I will say... There were some jokes with him that didn't land with me. I felt like he was the character that... The one character that I felt like every once in a while he'd have a joke that I'd be like, ah, oh, it doesn't work. Like, there's one point where he goes, the Wrath of Cortex, and I'm like, yeah, that's a little lame. But I do think the early sections of the game and then towards the end of the game, that stuff started working for me a lot better. Um, and I enjoyed his character a lot more. But yeah, there's a weird like point in the middle there where I was like, I'm not feeling Cortex at all. But I, I do think that improves for me at least. So let's um, let's talk about that story then. I gotta be honest with you. They tricked me. I thought for sure Uka Uka was gonna come back at the end to be the last villain. Yeah, no, Uka Uka is just straight up not in this game. He opens the portal at the beginning and then dies. <laughs> Apparently, I don't think he's dead. <laughs> like, I think he's just still in the time prison for all eternity. Which is why when we were in Snack World, I'm like, oh, this isn't ending because he's gonna come back and he's gonna be our, you know, our final villain. <laughs> Nope, it's just Cortex again. Which is great. I loved that. I, I loved going back to um to Cortex's castle. I thought that was all awesome and really well done. <laughs> Weird that he was in there <laughs> at all. Yeah, um one of my favorite uh moments in the story is when Nitrous Oxide shows up. <laughs> yeah, awesome. Great moment. Um It's right after we get introduced to the the second entropy, which is also amazing. I thought her design was fantastic and having two of them banter could have done without the flirting that was gross horny but... <laughs> for himself or themselves like, what are they <laughs> i don't i don't like that but it's weird it's, let's mean, not think about it <laughs> let's not think about that uh the fight with them was super cool though i really enjoyed that yes um but oxide really just being kind of masks. pushed around by them and <laughs> showing up with his spaceship just kind of canonizing ctr in that way i thought was really cool yeah, very cute, very well done. 
the those levels though um where you there's the level on his spaceship where you're getting to his um hover car from ctr which is again great and then the next level where you're on the alien planet the, there that's where i thought there should have been a cutscene. <laughs> like i get what happened there but i wish there was just a little cutscene there it is the one part of the game where I'm like, that feels a little cheap. The other moment I felt like kind of needed at least a little bit something was um, the start of the level offbeat, which is the start of the bayou area. There's like almost no motivation for this area until the very end. And it honestly, like, I actually kind of enjoyed it because the start of offbeat, which is probably one of my favorite levels in the entire game. It's, it might be the best level in the game. <laughs> it's so good. <laughs> it's so good. But it felt like a it literally felt like a dream <laughs> because like there's no character motivation for this area. There's just balloons that are references to other games. <laughs> there's a Spyro balloon and there's a Skylander balloon. And then there's a uh, Pura in a go-kart balloon. There's also a fake crash balloon later on. Um, there's that there's the sentient platforms. There's the cannon guy that shoots you out of him uh there's ghosts and stuff like i thought all that was like sort of this weird dreamy area and i was really into it yeah it's a great level um i mean all that stuff is supposed to be like new orleansy swampy area right so that's what they were going for but you're right it does have a weird like you get to those and then you're on the swamp levels which feels like it doesn't connect very well which i would not say is the case for the rest of the areas but that is a fantastic level oh yeah i i really enjoyed it also, fake crash is in the swamp level too. When you're jumping over the, oh, yes, when you're I, in the jetboard, when you're on the jetboard, you jump over him. I will say I can't think of any musical-based levels without thinking of the level from Sonic Advance Two. It's always my go-to comparison, but jumping on keyboards is always a great idea for a platformer. It is good. Speaking of that, which what were the music tracks you were into? Do you um, remember I think specifically? it's specifically. The only one that really, like, bothered me was the first Dingo Dial stage. And I don't know if this was the music or it was the attempted dynamic soundtrack of it. I honestly couldn't tell. But there's this weird ascending chord progression or just this ascending keys that got really distracting because it doesn't quite fit with the rest of the mix. Like it, I, it might be something like where it's the timing of his vacuum, but it didn't seem to line up with that and it didn't seem to line up with the music and it was really distracting. Other than that, I think the rest of the soundtrack is great. That one just threw me off. Okay. Yeah. Cause I was going to say, I, I got a bunch of music, you know, before recording this so I can put it in to the episode and i was listening i'm like oh the centric's really good <laughs> like oh no it's fantastic really it's just it. that one it, I, don't, I don't even know if you find the soundtrack on youtube or whatever they that might not even be in there because it might be something that's mixed in the game while gameplay is going but i honestly couldn't tell so well audience you'll find out if i can find it you'll hear it if not you won't <laughs> um, are there any other moments you want to touch on we didn't really talk about the masks. Yeah, what did you think of each individual mask? So, I really liked all of them. I think I wish they were used more in the story, and I think that goes back to wanting more cutscenes. Because um, I think 
you know, specifically everybody who's not Lonnie Lily gets kind of, you know, not really talked about. But gameplay-wise, fantastic. I love the phase-shifting stuff. Um, I think Dark Matter Spin is really fun and a great addition to the moveset. I think the gravity switching mechanic is super fun and kind of breaks your brain sometimes when you have to do it. Um, when you have to activate it for platforms, it's kind of like the Mario Galaxy 1 and 2 sections where you jump on the walls and you reverse gravity that way. Except here, you have to do it manually, which really makes them those sections hard because you have to be thinking on the fly and you use that to jump over like Laser Grids and stuff, which is, it's it's really good and really hard. <laughs> Who's the other one? Oh, Kapunawa, which is the slowing down time mechanic, which I think like they use accidentally by having, you know, super speedy obstacles go by where you can use her to slow down and jump on them like the cars in the Snack World Dimension or the um, the uh, saw blades in Cortex's Castle, stuff like that, I think is really cool and a great use of it. I pretty much agree with all of that. The I do think that the story significance of each of them feels a little uh, strange because it's really Lonnie Loli is speaks a lot at the beginning of the game and then kind of just leads the characters along. And then once it gets to Kapunawa, uh, nobody really talks much. Uh, and then Kapunawa gets like a couple lines in there. Um, Akano, kind of the personality, doesn't say much. That's fine. He's very stoic and says like one word at a time. I I get that. That's super cool. And then Ika Ika has like one cutscene, and that's the only time they speak. <laughs> and he seems like a really fun character, which is why I'm like kind of bummed out that we don't get. Yeah. He's got the two faces and they like don't like each other and one of them's always down on himself and the other one's always up on himself because they're down and up and I'm like, oh, that's cool. And then that's the only cutscene he talks in. I'm like, oh, wait, no, come back. Yeah, and it's weird too because the other Crash 4, Wrath of the Cortex, that game was all about the masks and evil masks that you were fighting. And they talked all the time in that fucking game. So I, I think it's just a bit bizarre. It's a bizarre choice, but... You know, whatever. <laughs> what can you do? Hopefully in Crash 5. I, yeah, I thought they were fantastic additions to the, to the moveset and really made for some tricky platforming, especially in that last level. In Cortex Castle, they're, they are rough. Like, having to use all of them combined in conjunction is, like, brain-breaking in a way that was so, Like, I died, like, 80 times in the last segment of that level. Yeah, which is completely fair because that section is hard. Um, I will say the mechanics of each of them were super unique and cool. Like, Akano's Dark Matter spin is basically the Death Tornado spin from Crash 3. But you can double jump mid-spin, and you also break steel crates with the spin, and you fall a little bit slower than, I and think, the Death Tornado spin. you're basically invincible to enemies. Any well. enemies with green and not, like, and you're completely vulnerable to TNT crates and nitro crates. Yeah. Um, I thought that was a really cool mechanic and they really use that in, in an interesting way when he's first introduced. Um, and then even later on, they throw a bunch of TNT crates in the way and you have to try and get the distance out of them, but not hit the TNT crates. I thought that was interesting. The time slowing mechanic was really cool to like slow down time right at the right moment to line up the obstacles specifically there's an obstacle like that in cortex castle and the cars in the snacks world where they are going 
really fast, but they're also going in different patterns, so you have to stop it right when they're in line so you can jump across. I really enjoyed those. And then the phase shifting was great. I enjoyed that one. But the uh the gravity one, I don't know. I'm maybe I'm just not a fan of gravity platforming <laughs> because I was not a fan of it in Sonic 3 or uh was it Super Castlevania 4? One of them. It's just not my thing. <laughs> I don't know, but I liked being able to change it on the fly. I thought it was cool to incorporate that with the double jumps to use in some interesting ways. But when you're actually upside down, I found it to be disorienting. But that's just me. Oh, really? I I feel like, you know, again, personally, I, I found it to work perfectly for me. And again, like there was a bonus room specifically using that mechanic that completely broke me. <laughs> to be like, what? It, it was it was fun, though. Um, so we mentioned, I talked about in the past three episodes about the journey to 100%ing it. Um, I'll lay it out for you here. There is no way in hell I'm actually completing this. Yeah, and for, as far as completion goes, I, I don't know. Like, I'll probably do the, the, you know, the flashback tapes, or at least as many of them as I can get, and that's probably about it. Maybe I'll go after some of the costumes because those should be cute. But yeah, there's, it's just the completion for this game seems pretty rough. Um, even yeah, major props to anyone ones. that has actually gotten that platinum trophy, but there's one specific thing that you can get that completely turns me off from ever completing this game. And that is the insanely perfect relics. Yeah. Um, I got one of these on accident in the first level of the game, and that's the only one I got. Um, you have to get all three Wumpa gems, which you get for getting at least 80% of the Wumpa fruit in the stage. You have to break every single box in the stage, and you have to do all that without dying. And you have to do that for all 38 Crash and Coco levels. Uh, no thank you. <laughs> yeah, it's a rough one. It's a rough one for sure. But yeah, like you said, props to anybody who wants to go for that. You're You're braver than me, for sure. We didn't really talk about each of the boss fights in death. We kind of touched on them. I think Engine is super fun. I I kind of feel like they're all fun. I love Engine's weird Mad Max like rock show thing. Yeah, with his weapon of mass percussion. I like how Embryo Embryo's basically the boss he was before, which is fun. It's just a fun callback. It's easy as hell, but why not? Yeah, I like how they use Akano the to do some ricocheting in there as though. It seems fun to do. Oh yeah, definitely. Um, you have Cortex, which he what he's in his ship right the first time. Yeah, on his airship, which is good. I think it's a good platforming boss, and I I, I enjoyed it. Uh, the Entropy fight, which we already praised, I love its mix of platforming before you get to the actual fight. Force it uses it has you use the masks. Um, you know, I think you're using Lonnie Lily first, and then you're onto Kabuna Wa slowing them down. Which is great. Um, or maybe you're using Akano too. Uh, but then the actual fight itself, once you get there, is great. It's all it's all good. Yeah, you use Ika Ika to use gravity and you have to avoid stuff. It is a great mix of 3D and 2D platforming. The 3D to the approach and then the 2D once you get there. Um, you have both entropies shooting stuff at you. It's really high energy. Yeah, it has a very epic scale to it too, which is fun. You know, and the last Cortex boss is also good. It's a, kind of another, it's kind of the extension of the first one, which works. Uh, again, again, very platforming focused. 
I love that uh, Cortex in the second, his second fight, he's using the masks against you. So you kind of have to think about the reverse of their respective mechanics. Um, I thought I always am a sucker for that in video games. So that was really cool to see. Totally. Uh, all, you know, all the boss fights in this game, much like the other games, are super easy. You know, I, I think Crash Bandicoot, uh, I think the only hard boss we've faced in this series was Cortex in the first game. Everything else is super simple, um, but enjoyable. And I think they're all kind of a spectacle, which I really enjoyed. But, like, it is kind of jarring getting off Cortex Castle and then getting to him as the final boss and have, having him be kind of a pushover. <laughs> I was like, oh... I think the hardest boss is actually Ripperoo in Crash 1 and 2. Yeah, because of the timing. (laughs) Um, The worst boss is still Pinstripe. Uh, He's boring. Yeah, and and none of these bosses are boring. I think they're all entertaining and they all have fun patterns. And Again, they're all a spectacle, which is... I kind of feel like it's what boss fights should be. They shouldn't be super challenging. So what did you think of the ending of this game? Uh... I loved it. I loved that they do, you know, classic dimensional time travel garbage where the ending of this game is the catalyst for the first game. <laughs> Hell yeah, sure. Brings it full circle. Yep, have it come, have crash, accident, crash in the past if that's what starts the whole thing. I love uh, the Cortex. I feel like they, you know, I feel like it is kind of an extension of himself in 3 where they've won, but he's still like, you know, if I just go back in time, and I stop Crash from ever being created. I never have to deal with this ever. But his past self is still his the stubborn Whoa. asshole from the first game. Like, I think all that comedy, that's what I mean about the comedy of him coming full circle for me, where I ended up enjoying it at the end. Like, all that stuff is really good. Oh, man. It's so great. Um, I love the fact that the past Cortex, upon realizing that he beat the future Cortex, which really Crash did, the he then tells, like gives crash his first order which is to dispose of cortex basically like hey crash defeat me <laughs> it's really cute uh, and really clever and it, it's really great again it plays into the fun nature of of this game and you know the funness of the writing and the cinematics they're they're fantastic um and i love the last cinematic uh, and i guess i didn't look it up i'm sure there's a hundred percent bonus one um, which I'll probably look up after this, actually. But the last one where they're sitting on the couch playing video games and he's asleep again, mirroring the first one. Really cute, really fun. Well, and the final moment with Cortex where he's sent to the edge of the universe and he just sits down like, finally, I yes. can relax. It's so <laughs> good. I love it. Because he's so unhinged. And I love that characterization where he's just, you know, it's it's from three again where he's just done and even when they've won he's like i still i just want to be done forever <laughs> like Please, when it was his break. boss fight where he's like i just want to end this cycle of violence it's it's so cute it's so fun i love it i love it to death yeah i can't think of really anything else i want to touch on they you know phenomenal experience really really enjoyed it anything else we're missing um i honestly think that's it this is probably without going for the hundred percent one of the best crash games i've played i've only played the original trilogy but i honestly think that it's right up there next to three if not a little bit above three just the amount of enjoyment that i got out of this game whether it was the characters the level design the uh the actual feel of the game or voice acting music any of that i just enjoyed the entire thing front to back 
as much as of it that I played. Oh, yeah, and I, I will say, I think this is one of my favorite platformers, not just 3D platformers, of, like, ever. Like, I, I really, really loved this experience. I think it's for sure one of my games of the year. Like, if not my game of the year, I I adored this experience, and, you know, I will probably replay it for years to come. Like, I think it is wonderful and should not be missed. It, it you know, those early comparisons that we talked about on these other shows... Um, to like Donkey Kong Country, you know, Tropical Freeze and stuff like that. I think that those are apt. This game, you know, it feels like that in terms of its quality, in terms of, you know, how it's bringing back this classic character in a modern way. I think it's wonderful. Yeah, I honestly feel like this is going to be something that is remembered fondly, but also remembered as a extremely worthy successor to that original trilogy's legacy. Um, it feels like a modern take on the original trilogy while also feeling like a natural extension of it, which is really cool. And I mean, it's bold. It is really risky to put like, Oh, this is going to be crash bandicoot four. You know, we saw that with Sonic four and it kind of blew up in their face. This definitely is deserving of that number four. I feel like we can we can replace that analogy and talk about Tony Hawk Five. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> they called it Pro Skater Five. What? The- Whoa. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> it's okay. They've redeemed themselves. Uh, yeah, <laughs> it's for another episode. It's okay. Calm your anger. Let's let's do some predicting again. I by the way, I love that we did a bunch of predictions about what this game will be in our third episode like months before. And so we looked real dumb when that episode came out. I was laughing about that the other day. <laughs> yeah. So we released that early so that you'd have time to listen to it before Crash 4 came out, meaning we released it the day before Crash 4. And also we put a segment like, "Hmm, I wonder what Crash 4 is going to be." Like, yeah, wait till the next day. <laughs> We had recorded that like about <laughs> a month before. Just, I I should have been like, oh, what is this gonna? What is this one gonna release? <laughs> I didn't even think about it. But that's not gonna happen this time. We're gonna talk about the future of Crash and the future of Spyro because I think it's relevant. So, a, do you think we're gonna get Crash Five? I am honestly not sure. I mean. I think we're. this is definitely not the last we'll see of Crash for a while because from the looks of it, this in combined, in combination with Insane Trilogy and CTR, I think this is selling extremely well and there's like a revitalized passion for Crash from old fans and new people getting into the series now. So this is definitely not the last we'll see of Crash. I'm just curious as to see as whether or not we'll see Crash 5 or if we'll start to see remakes of the other games, you know, give them the actual polish they deserved and maybe sort of bring those back up to standard, which would kind of be a weird thing, especially since Crash 4 kind of writes them out of the picture. But I don't know. I feel like either one is possible, but most likely we're probably going to see a crash five 
Yeah, and super quick to double back, you were talking about sales. We don't know for sure yet as of recording. We only have a couple of things. I think like what PlayStation Australia tweeted out like the you know ten best selling games and Crash Four was ahead of that. Um, there was a bit of a of a thing going around the weekend it came out because the UK physical numbers got released and people were freaking out because it wasn't doing well there. But those are only physical numbers and also those also like people always cite those and those are not very reliable i found over the years yeah especially during a pandemic when people don't yeah, want to go that was buy the other things. thing is before the pandemic we knew that both consoles you know were games were selling 50 percent digitally before that and then you know you gotta imagine that's gone up way more you know in the past year because of just the nature of the world you know hopefully somebody's listening to this in the future and is like what are you talking about <laughs> Hopefully that's the future. We aren't stuck in our homes forever, please. Um, so yeah, we don't know for sure, but it does seem like from the little tidbits we've had, from you know the little marketing, like here's the top ten PSN games. It seems like it's doing pretty well, and I would wager to bet it is. I think that you know the Insane Trilogy did super well. I think CTR did super well, and you know Spyro did super well, and Tony Hawk did super well. So it stands to the reason this will probably also do pretty well. I mean, hell, even that Spongebob remake seemed to do pretty decent for itself. So, like, people are interested in 3D platformers. And Which Crash is Bandicoot. great for this year. Yeah, definitely. Because I um, love 3D platformers. Yeah, absolutely. So, I I don't think we'll see remakes of, like, Wrath of Cortex and Twin Sanity. As much I know some fans really want that. I think it'd be fun to get re-releases. I don't know if Activision's into that. I think part of the issue is those games just at a fundamental level aren't that good <laughs> like you know and we'll probably play them for the show and do more in-depth reviews someday but you know if crash 5 does get announced maybe in the lead up to that but like wrath of cortex is basically crash warped but not as good and twin sanity has some interesting new ideas but that is a game that's famously unfinished you know, and then after that, they did the Titans games, which I think are supposed to be fine, but most people, you know, don't really want those. So I think full-scale remakes of those probably isn't the smartest idea. I think you'd burn people out on games that are, you know, in all honesty, subpar, which I, you know, hopefully, I, I think that would be the wrong move, and hopefully, I, I think they wouldn't do that either. I feel like those are the kind of games that would need full, like, ground-up remakes, though. Oh, yeah, I mean, if somebody was willing to be like, we're doing Twin Sanity again, but it's just a new game. We're doing Resident Evil 2 for Twin Sanity, which sounds insane. But, you know, if that's their plan, then that's a different story. But in terms of, like, remakes, like, insane, I just don't see it. Yeah, no, I would I would wager that if they were going to even touch Wrath of Cortex and Twin Sanity, then they would kind of go back to the drawing board and just use sort of the structure, but then just re like evaluate what worked what didn't and then actually put the time into it that they needed because both of those games were extremely rushed which to be fair you can kind of make that argument that that's what this is for wrath of cortex wrath of cortex had four new masks in it they weren't playable they were enemies that you fought in that game but like it i think they might have done that they might have looked at that game and went well let's just take some ideas from it which is interesting, and maybe that they will do that with Twin Sanity, which is an interesting idea. I mean, that game is a different formula. It's not necessarily the linear platforming stuff. It's a little bit more open. 
Um, it always kind of felt like they were channeling Jack and Dexter a little bit more than Crash Bandicoot to me. But, yeah, I don't know. It, it It's an interesting thought, at the very least. I mean, honestly, if any of the... If the next game lives up to the quality that either Insane Trilogy or this one have, then it's going to be really great. So, that's all I want, really. Yeah, absolutely. What do you think this means for Spyro? Oh, I definitely feel like Spyro's next. Yeah, it's gotta be, right? So, I feel like we're getting a Spyro game next year. Hopeful, I should specify. Spyro the Dragon's the first video game I ever played. And Spyro 2 is my favorite video game of all time. So I'm, I'm pretty... I'm a huge Spyro fan. So I'm really hoping that that's what this means. My one concern with that is who's making it. <laughs> because Toys for Bob did the Reignited Trilogy. So it's interesting that they did Crash 4 and not Vicarious Vision. So I'm a little like mystified. Like, will it be Beanox, I guess, who's heading that up? Because Vicarious Vision's just put out Tony Hawk. Yeah, I mean... It- if it is next year, then it's got to be something else. It's got to be someone else. I mean, Beanox is probably huge. Yeah, I mean, they did Tony Hawk and Crash 4 and, like, all the other stuff, so they're probably pretty... They got the staff, but I don't know. I feel like... I don't I don't feel like it could be next year, honestly. I want it to be next year, but I feel like they might need a little bit more time to work on that. Yeah, that is the thing with these. Like, if I had my way, what I would do is I would say, okay, we got a Crash game, we get a Spyro game, then we get a new Kart Racer, and then we repeat, and everybody gets three-year you know, three development cycles. Um, you know, much like Call of Duty does, uh, which is what they do with three different studios, which is why there's a Call of Duty game out of every year, right? Um, but I would do that with these franchises so you don't get burnt out, and you don't burn out the developers, you don't burn out the audience. I'm a little afraid Activision is Activision and they'll want something out next year. And I don't want that to kill these games because I really want them to come back in a big way. And so I'm just a little bit nervous about it, probably more than I should be, but it'll probably be fine. But I don't know. Yeah, I hope it's not rushed, honestly. Yeah. um, Yeah, and then Tony Hawk's probably in that mix too in terms of classic games. I don't know. I, I... really hope i think my prediction is we'll probably see a spyro game announced next year which is super exciting and uh we will definitely be talking about spyro next year in some capacity (laughs) yeah whether there's a new game or not we gotta get to spyro sometime yeah you will hear me yell about spyro and those episodes will probably be way too long for what they are (laughs) whatever and i have never played a spyro so this will be fun super excited Okay, well, let's, uh, well, do you want to give a quick ranking of these games? I, I think they're, I think we kind of talked around it. For me, it goes Crash 1, Warped 2, 4. Like, I think 4 is From my bottom new to favorite. Top. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's going to be about the same, except I'm going to swap 2 and 3. It's going to be 1, 2, 3, 4. <laughs> so, pretty much, they just keep get keep getting better and better. <laughs> We're going to ignore the rest of them for now. For now. We'll get to it. We'll get to it. Well, talking about our future schedule um, is kind of hard because I think last time we talked, we wanted to keep our 
episode that's premiering on Halloween a secret for funsies. We are doing a horror game, but you won't get to know that right now. I don't know if we'll reveal that on Twitter or, you know, just wait till the episode's out, but you'll know in the future. Um, And then the rest of the year we talked about, um, and this all might change. Unfortunately, you know, I'm kind of in a place right now where we're playing uh, longer games is a bit of a harder thing for me. Um, so we've been talking about doing Death Stranding, and that's going to happen. It just, I just don't know when. Um, hopefully, you know, definitely by the end of the year. We just don't know where to slot it. So that could be after our Halloween episode, or it could be ep- episodes later. We're also going to do a Tony Hawk 1 plus 2 episode, which I'm very excited about. Uh, going to be lots of fun music in there. Don't tell anybody. Shh. <laughs> no. <laughs> don't copyright claim us, please. Don't don't tell any don't tell any license holders. <laughs> this is our secret. And then we talked about doing um well I guess I won't say that in case we don't want to commit. But some other fun little indie year type games too, um, before the end of the year. So sorry we don't have a you know, completely mapped out schedule for you, but just know the plan is to keep episodes every two weeks like they happen and you know, hopefully we'll you know, we'll definitely let you know, aside from this Halloween one, you know, what the next episode was. So if you want to play along, you can. You can do that on Twitter if you follow Safe Station Pod, which is run by Connor, who does a great job at it. Where can the people find you personally on Twitter, Connor? Uh, you can find me at Brickmaster03. I've been posting screenshots of my, my games. You can see me scream about spending two hours and 40 minutes on one crash level um, or you know, uh, getting stuck in Super Mario Sunshine, <laughs> stuck in a wall. Um, uh, where can they find you, Dustin? Uh, they can find me at Dustin H. Dragon, where they can see me posts about video games and dogs, mostly, and sometimes politics. But yeah, definitely follow at Save Station Pod, and we'll keep you up to date on what our future episodes hold. And our next episode will be out on Halloween. Ooh, spooky times. Can't wait. Well... Until then, make sure you hang up all your bats and pumpkins. And we'll see you then. Talk to you later. Hang those pumpkins.